Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Grace Archie with Jim Babka. Hey everybody, Bill Protzman here, your moderator, introducing a really powerful episode of Grace Archie. Some things happened over in Davos this week. We're going to get into that. And most importantly, we're going to do this in the context of a prior episode where we introduced Javier Malay and some of his ideas. I don't think I want to say anything more about that, Jim. Let's do this. Yeah, get, let's, let's get an early report card going here. I, you know, I don't know if you, when I was in grade school, they would send home these progress reports, right? Like you're part of the way through the grading period. And it's like, oh, you know, maybe Jim can improve on something. Maybe you didn't get progress reports sent home. I don't know. Maybe I was just a bad student. Nah, I got progress reports. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah, really they were early. <laughs> it's really early to be grading Javier Malay because he just took office in December. So it's very early to be grading him. But here we are before January is even over in 2024. And it's, we already have some initial results. Oh, he's making waves. He is making waves. You might recall, uh, we started off, we had a concern in the previous episode. I, I would have categorized it as my biggest concern, uh, about his presidency, which was that there's something that, that, Politicians might promise to do here in our own country, and they never do. We, right, here right. we have a borrow and spend party and a tax and spend party, but the common denominator is they both spend, right? By hook yep. or by crook. If it's inflation, deficit spending, whatever it is they need to do to get their increasing the taxes, whatever it is they need to do, they're going to do it. They're going to keep spending. And, and the, you know, we've added a trillion dollars in debt in just the last several months. Like we're not, this is getting more and more rapid. Yeah, so we're we're headed for Argentina trouble too. Although you know we're we're kind of like uh, the United States, kind of like the uh, like the old joke where the punchline is, "I don't have to outrun the bear; I have to outrun you." So you know we're the last ones to get caught, but it eventually there's you know I think there'll be a reckoning. But Argentina got caught a long time ago. And they've been on they've been in a hot mess with inflation rates that you know went as high as one hundred and forty percent. Oh, it's scary. Scary. Like, yeah, like you, you would get the paycheck and then the entire family would go to the store with the wage and price controls. One of the price controls was the whole family had to go along. We explained this in the previous episode because by the end of the week, your money wouldn't be as, have as much purchasing power as it did that day. And you as an individual could only buy so much at a time. So the whole family, it's, it's a family excursion to go to the store so that you can buy enough provisions for the week at the lowest possible price because the longer we can go up by the time you get your next paycheck. Yeah. By I'm already seeing pricing like that in our grocery stores where things change daily. Yeah. So it's it's uh there it was extreme for them. And you know a doubling year over year or 150 percent, you know, 140 would be you know nearly one and a half times annually, right? From what it was uh, you know before. Okay. He has um downsized government 
already. And this is the hardest part. This is the part the politicians don't do. They always keep the spending. And even in the couple of days after he was elected, there were some things that he said that made me think he was going to hold back a little bit, but he didn't. He didn't, he didn't he at all. Right yeah. He went right to it. Uh, I want to credit uh, Dutch Libertarian. It's an account oh, on yeah. Twitter. Uh, we're going to put it in the show notes so you can find them. If you want to get the day-to-day, if, if, the, if a little periodic report card from us about how he's doing is insufficient, and I have no guarantee that we're going to continue to cover this or how we're going to cover this. I just suspect deeply we will, especially after what happened at Davos. You can check out that account because he's providing, he's not only providing a service of keeping people up to date on what Millet is doing, he's also translating. So like, like he's taking articles that are written in a foreign language and he's providing a summary or a translation of them in the tweets. So we have this information because it's translated, not sourced. So my source, he's secondary, and that's the best I can do in terms of sourcing this for you today, is to point you to, and not, I, I do have a couple of source, other sources, but I can point you to that one as a prime, as one of the ones I use for putting together this show, because uh, uh, Dutch Libertarian is following this. But Dutch Libertarian, by the way, being a Libertarian who's also concerned about his own country. So he's there and he's communicating with his people, but he's also talking about Javier Malay quite a bit in a way that Americans can use and appreciate in English. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. I said they downsized already. I got off that track a little bit. This is one of the things Dutch Libertarian reports. This is unbelievable, Bill. Real spending, real spending decreased by 31% compared to November. And if they compare it year on year, 33.8%, which means more than a third. He cut spending already more than a third. In what? A month, right? So they have they do a month-to-month snapshot, and a year later, if you compare it a year ago to now, he cut it. Okay, how did he do this? So Cato reports, and we'll include this link for you too, that he consolidated uh, eighteen government ministries into nine, and they get into some of the specifics, which are, by the way, almost laughingly hysterical. Like some of the agencies that exist that should not exist. Uh, he can't close them yet, but he can rearrange things and he can put them inside things and start to work on shrinking those budgets. Uh, he fired 5,000 government workers. Out of how many do we know? I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm just curious. I'm not putting you on the spot. I actually don't know, but it is. It, but I, I, just imagine the hue and cry I mean, we close the government shutdowns occur here. These budget battles between Republicans and Democrats, and these debt ceiling battles, and the government closed down, right? And we hear all kinds of stories about government workers who are suffering. They didn't; they're not out of jobs. In fact, they will be completely restored when it comes back. And they knew for weeks and months that this was coming. Okay, and 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 somehow or other, this is the this is an epic tragedy. He's already left. Five, he's already sacked five thousand people. There's no coming back. They're gone. Their jobs are gone. Back to the private sector. There you go. Got to serve someone. Yep. He's introduced a three hundred fifty-page package of economic reforms, and Cato puts it this way: They said it would. It's a package that quote would make Milton Friedman and Frederick Hayek smile. What about that plan? What about the plan? I mean, this this is, if you're not someone who's into all the government stuff, these are just numbers. But if you're into the government stuff, 
the momentous nature of this. It's huge. It's just, it's, it's take a moment time, people. It's pause yes. for silence. Okay. Now, I just want to point out, I'm glad you said that because there's this, this sentiment or this feeling that like, oh my gosh, these poor workers or, oh my gosh, like all these cuts, what's going to happen? We're going to get into some of that. There's a very specific thing I want to nail down before we're done. But I just want to say broadly, on every nation on the planet, in every single nation on the planet, the government gets bigger year upon year. It just keeps happening. It's, it's nonstop. And it's always called for. And it's never time. It's never the right time to make any of these decisions. So if you'll just afford us the opportunity to do this once to show what it's worth, just do it once in one place to show you what it's worth. This will be, the rest of the world can be the control group, and then we will do this one experiment and watch what happens. And I said there might be some periods of austerity and some difficulties and some revolts and rebellions, but if you if he starts early, he hits hard, and he sticks to it, that period could be as little as a half a year to, to maybe a year and a half. It's not going to be very long, two years tops, before the improvements are just obvious. We're going to show you here in a moment. They already are obvious. We're going to give you an example of that. But the plan itself, okay, so he's got this 350-page package of economic reforms. Daniel DiMartino, uh, who is from Venezuela, I know Daniel. Daniel is uh, uh, presently works, I think, with the uh, Manhattan Institute. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's where he's at now. But he's also uh, uh, the, the founder of something called the uh, Dissident Project that operates out of an organization called Young Voices. And they send like people. It. They send people from uh, who are born in foreign countries, who've escaped those tyrannies, to come and speak to high school students about what it's like to live under a tyranny, and why we should value freedom and economic liberty. And Daniel Martino D. Martino comes from Venezuela, so he's he comes from nearby, so to speak, and he can come in and explain what's happened to his country, which was at one time in the late 1960s, the fourth wealthiest country on the planet. And they have fallen way, 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 way down. So he is, you know, intimately familiar with what's going on. And he can even read, you know, the, the newspaper, so to speak, in, in Argentina and, and listen to Harvey, Javier Malay speak in his, in his native tongue and understand what he's doing and why. So he reports that uh, his, uh, um, that they have they've announced an emergency package of measures to completely balance the budget in 2024. Completely balance the budget in 2024. I didn't say next year. I didn't say the year after. It's not a 10-year plan like Congress routinely does, okay, where they don't ever deliver on the cuts that they promised. They put the cuts out in, eight, in years 8, 9, and 10, yeah. and then they don't deliver on them. The next year, they set up a new one, and the cuts are in year 8, 9, and 10. And then the next year, they put out a new one, and the cuts are in 8, 9, and 10. You get where I'm going with this? In 2024, that's equivalent to 5% of GDP. That's how big the cut's going to be. 5% of GDP. Now, if you want to put that in U.S. terms, 5% would be a $1.4 trillion cut in our government. That's how big it's going to be in Argentina. That's the equivalent size. If you're trying to do apples to apples, that's what a 5% cut looks would look like here. And he just wants to do this all in one year. Yeah. The measures include, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say tighten the belt. Yes. 
Right. So the measures include letting go of every public employee who has been employed for less than a year. In addition to the 5,000, they're already gone, right? Yes. Abolishing all government publicity and related spending for projects. Appointing government, uh, appointed government positions get cut. Appointments. These are not employees. These are appointments. He wants to cut appointments by 34%. Again, a third. No more transfers to local governments. They've been sending money from the federal down to local governments. They're going to stop that. Suspension and cancellation of all public infrastructure. I want to come back to that point. Stick with me on yeah. that, okay? Yeah. Reduction of energy and transport subsidies. Devaluation of the peso. There's going to do some of that uh, to get it basically. Uh, they're trying to they're trying to get onto a firmer position where it's tied to the dollar, so that they don't have the fluctuations that they've had, which have re- have gone up radical, like we just said, to 140 percent inflation, and elimination of export import quotas and licenses. So they're going to allow, uh, they're going to stop taxing everything that's going out the door, which hurts their own business, and they're going to stop taxing as heavily everything and licensing everything is coming in the door so that people can buy goods and services less expensively by being able to access international markets. Okay. That's the list. Yeah. Now I said, I wanted to come back to something and, and, and that is this cancellation of all public infrastructure projects. So there's, there's two things to be said about this. Two things. First, they've been subject to a lot of corruption in the past. This has been a place where a lot of thieving from the taxpayer has occurred. I actually am going to go one step further and think this is the thing that puts him in the most physical danger. Because oh, this is, oh, there's a people. Physical or fiscal? Physical. 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 Okay. physical. As in like somebody may take a, an, an attempt on him because he's not just hitting government employees here. I, you know, most bureaucrats don't have enough initiative, I don't think. They're, they're white-collar people, rather civilized and so forth, to go out and, and shoot the president. But if you've got some kind of mafia or something in his country operating that have been working inside and corrupting various processes, they might be really motivated to do something. So, What about the, what about the poor working man that the mafia is protecting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They care so they keep, they care even more about the poor than the government, right? Right. <laughs> uh, and then I, I just I want to talk about the fact that public works is a giant hole, sometimes literally, into which we pour government money or taxpayer money. Okay. Oh, I know. You, How many Caltrans workers does it take to fill a hole in the road? Right. Well, okay, Caltrans. Like that's a, I've, I'm not as familiar with the story, but I have heard parts of that story. And, and the story I want to tell is, is very similarly related. Again, I return to the Cato article on this to give you, again, an American comparison. Um, you have Amtrak, which is notoriously unreliable. It's never turned a profit. It consumes more than $50 billion in federal subsidies uh, over, over the last several decades. And it still puts up in 2021, just to pick one year, it had a loss of $2.1 billion. So what that says is that there's not in its present the way it's presently regulated and the way it's presently funded that it is not serving enough customers to cover its bills. So there's a process in a open in a free market uh, where a company will lower its price to get more customers. But if it can't sustain its business at the lower price, 
it still can't get enough customers, it goes away. And this is called creative destruction. What it means is that resources that were allocated to the thing that was not serving people get reallocated to something that will actually serve people. And that means that real wealth will, will expand. People will actually be richer and they, and, 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 in the wealth sense. People get really confused about this. Income and wealth are not the same thing. Yes. Okay. If yes. you suddenly start making $15 an hour because the minimum wage got raised, but you find that your lunch costs you $25, whereas where before it cost you, maybe you were making 11 and it cost you nine, right? You're not doing as well. Okay. So the, the wage, wages matter. I want my money, my wage to increase. You want your wage to increase. But what matters more is your purchasing power and then your ability to acquire things. And that's wealth. That acquisition of actual things is wealth. Okay? And money is better allocated when it's going to things people want. And then they're richer. Because what we're doing is we are all paying. All of us are paying that $2.1 billion a year to keep Amtrak open. Now, when he starts closing these things, people are going to go, oh, oh, there's people working in the streets and we're not going to have any services. And so, no, that's not how this works. What it's saying is there are certain things that are just sinkholes and he's going to put a stop on all of it. And then it'll be evident which ones matter. Yes. Yes. So but not all of them are going to come back. That's the point. It's like some of the stuff that's like the public works projects, eventually that's going to come back, but in a different form, right? Yeah. Hopefully in a yeah. less expensive form. Hopefully in a less expensive form and hopefully in a much more necessary form. If, yes. If, if, and I listen, my personal position is the voluntary or private sector can do better at everything. Okay. Everything. There's no exceptions to this. We don't have time to get into all that today, but that's, but I think it can be demonstrated. Oh, you've, you've demonstrated already. You've seen the video of Arnold Schwarzenegger filling his own pothole in front of his house yes. because he couldn't get the city to do it, right? Well, and you know, it's funny because uh, there's times governments have fined people for doing stuff like that. And that, yes. And that okay. happened. The cops or come and dug it up. They couldn't, do, they couldn't fill the pothole for three years, but they'll come dig it back out. They'll dig it back out. <laughs> Suddenly it went to the top of the list. Okay, so back to Javier. Uh, a lot of cuts. This is going to hurt people uh, at the lowest rungs of the economic ladder harder than anybody else, right? Yeah. So uh, one thing that I left out in this three in this you know three hundred fifty page package that he's that he's spelling out is that there is going to be temporary expansion in one area, and that is that they're going to increase direct aid for child benefit and food aid with debit cards. They're going okay. to provide debit cards to do that, and so there's an understanding that. A lot of us can go through austerity and we can tighten our belt. But then there's another austerity where people starve. There's, they have no, they're already on the final belt or they can't afford a belt. They can't afford pants. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so yeah. Uh, I don't know how to extend the metaphor, but you get what I'm saying, right? So yeah. he does not want, he's not interested in seeing the least of these suffer through the transition. This is temporary. This is designed to make sure that if there is, if there are some people who have some fallout that can't quite make it through, we are still going to figure out how to bring them through while we're doing all of these other things. We're not going to let the least amongst us fall through the cracks. So and that's what he's attempting to do here. He's going to like reallocate some of that 30-ish percent, 
to help people who need it most. Yes, but temporarily, temporarily and in a way that they get the money directly. Notice yeah. it's a debit card. because yep. a, what, So, you know, a lot of the things that the government does, we staff and create jobs for people to carry things out. And that adds cost to getting it done. And, and there, you know, our welfare programs, an inordinate amount of money is spent actually on the people working in the program and monitoring the program and governing the program and accounting for the program and checking on the accounting of the program and auditing the auditors of the program and training the people who work in the program. And on and on we go. Whereas you could just say, hey, look, you know what? Why don't we just give you a bulk amount on a debit card? And you try to figure it out. You know what you need to eat. Here's a card, right? You've just described how we approach homelessness in the United States. Uh, we approach a lot of things this way. <laughs> this happens again and again. You find out that some of these things, our public schools even, are jobs programs. It's not just a teacher in a classroom. There's a, there's a, there's a corporation going on there. Oh, yeah. There's more people outside the classroom than there is in, and not all of them are necessary. And this is an important thing to understand, and Javier Malay gets it. So he's saying we're going to give that money to him directly. So to, to boil this, uh, it's not a giveaway program. Um, it's a subsidy in a way, right? Mm. It's subsidizing the the bootstrapping, perhaps, is a good way of saying it. Yeah. It most. I, I'm hesitant to use the word subsidies, and let me tell you why. Um, essentially, the international plot has been, and this is what's got uh, Argentina in so much trouble, the international plot has been that you need outside economic development loans from richer countries who then subsequently their banks or their powers that be own you. So there's been kind of, you know, it's interesting because we're going to go to Davos in a moment. It's made up of a lot of characters who participated in that central plot. And in the 1950s in particular, but in 60s and, and, and beyond, there have been governments that are government your government has toppled so that they could keep economic control over these countries. But the way that they've been doing it for the last 40-ish or so years has been much more through loans. It hasn't been uh, through overt, uh, overthrows by the CIA or militaries or whatever. It's been more and more through loans. So you see subsidy think loan. That's where my head goes, yes. Because what they do is they say, well, we got to give you an international aid. The U.S. spends uh, $40 billion on economic aid to other countries. Subsidies, right? I mean, that's, again, you, the taxpayer, uh, paying that money out. We're sending money, and by the way, to some of the worst governments on the planet, they, they're not getting creative destruction. They're not having to experience the consequences. We're helping keep rich people in power with middle-class people's money, okay? But it's a debt scheme. That's what I see here. I see a debt scheme being posed on people. And the solution, and Malay gets this, he gets this explicitly, is that the best way out of poverty, the best way out of want, the best way to prosper is free market capitalism. Let me say that again, free market capitalism. So capitalism, let me just be real straight what, what that means here. It's uh, uh, Perry Willis, I like to refer to him, he's got another aphorism for this, it's toolism. Toolism, right? I have, I've made a profit from selling something. And instead of eating that, I say, you know what? I'm going to take that money and I'm going to go buy a tool so that I can make two of those things or three of those things or 10 of those things or a hundred of those things. And then I can eat more, right? Or I can buy more tools and I can keep doing it. So 
Every single person, like people go, oh, capitalism is so bad. And I get why they say this. Sure, they They say it because we have a government who makes loans to people and we call the lenders capitalists and they, and people become indebted in kind of this consumer culture and uh, the government bails out some of the actors and players. They socialize the losses. We allow them to retain the profits. I get why people are mad about that system. It has appropriated to itself the term capitalism. But every single person in earshot of me right now who has a savings account is a capitalist. Because what you're doing is you're putting money aside for another day where you can buy a tool. And it might be, just to pick out an example, your automobile. Your automobile is the thing that you need to get to work every day. That's a tool. So you personally, if you drive your car to work, are a capitalist. You paid for it. That's how you get yourself there every day. You voluntarily chose it as a tool that you felt would be more effective than walking or riding your bike, which, by the way, the bike would also be a tool if you chose to ride that, right? The, but you invested in something you owned that would get you to that place. That's what capitalism is. It's nothing more than that. The debate worldwide between capitalism and socialism is whether or not the state should provide everything, whether the state should own those tools, or whether real people, individuals, should own those tools. That's capitalism. Well put. Yes. Okay? Now, free market means that you have the ability to exchange with one another without interference from outside parties. A market mean is, all, is a collection of all the people. The free part means that those people can make their own relationships with one another. No one needs to compel them to be in any relationship or prohibit or ban them from being in any relationship. Now, what I just described, does that sound remotely like the United States to you? In some sectors, yes, but in things like healthcare, no. Right. There's whole whole sectors where you are not allowed to do business with certain people. Or you have to have a license to do business, or you have to have a permit to do business, or you have to have this or that to do just to open your door. Yeah. You have to screen your employee, your your candidates for uh, work. You have to screen candidates for working with you because some of them you might not be allowed to work with. And healthcare is, as you put it, probably the sector right now that is the most anti-capitalist of all of them. And coincidentally, half the money that flows through that system, and I think it's up above that now because this was true years ago, half the money that flows through that system is government money, taxpayer dollars through Medicare and Medicaid and other government-related programs, okay? So I'm saying all of this to lay predicate because people don't understand these these concepts, and I want to make them as basic as possible to say that there's a flip side of this, and it's called freedom. And Javier Malay is going to address this real directly here in a moment. We're going to get into where his Davos trip, but I want to say... The alternative to debt, to borrowing, is human action. We don't need governments to give out welfare programs and to provide loans to people. Humans can work together to get things done, and it's that ingenuity, it's that creativity, it's that drive to succeed, it's the drive to achieve and accomplish your personal goals that makes all of this work. It's the state that gets involved and sticks its nose in the middle using coercive methods to begin to suppress creativity, to suppress drive, to suppress happiness, harmony, and prosperity. That's what the state does. And so what he is suggesting is free market capitalism is the best way to lift people out of poverty. We need freedom, 
not subsidy. We don't want your handouts and help. And we're going to stop giving handouts and helps because we want people to be free to connect with one another and achieve their goals in that way. Amen. And by the way, connect with one another. So uh, there's an attitude around that, isn't there? There's the attitude that I, Jim, hey, I have something that could help you and you have something that could help me. And we're able to make that exchange in fair, fairness and freely. Yeah, right? because, and, it's, and, and it's always, Bill, it's always a win-win. There's always a give and a get, okay? And both of the parties voluntarily consented to it. And they would not have chosen that transaction of their own accord if they did not feel that the benefit exceeded uh, the cost. So if they yeah. say, if, I, if, if you sell me bread and I bring you money, and let's say your bread costs uh, $10, right? You have to make this artisan bread, and I'm going to buy your artisan bread from you, okay? And it's $10. I decided that I valued the bread more than I valued that $10. But you sold me the bread because you valued the $10 more than the bread. That's how that works, back and forth. Both sides walk away happy with the transaction. It's all, it's all great until the government tells me that I've got to have a like a cottage baking license. Yes. And I've got to pay penalties for having sold you so much bread already without the license. Yeah, and then it turns out, you know, I, I, a boss of mine from many, many years ago, early in my career, was like, well, it won't matter because we all have to pay the same taxes. Well, what that means is that, you know, now your bread's going to cost $13. Yep. I can't find $10 bread anywhere, right? Yep. That's not an option. Yep. It's just going to be $13. That's what it's going to be. You have to do that. And it's so bad in Argentina that they set the wage, they set the price, yeah. right? And when they set the price too low, business disappears. And so now nobody's supply, supplying the bread. The yeah. bread's gone. Bread's gone. And luxury items like artisan bread, for, to carry on our example, disappear. They're like, just gone. Yeah. If you, if do you like cinnamon raisin uh, wheat bread, right? I happen to like it a lot. If, you if you, that's something that you want every so often, good luck finding it. Because it, you know, they said this is what you charge for bread. Now it's gone. Yeah, can't make it for six dollars a loaf. You know, so this, the socialism almost always is. You always almost always see shortages as part of the package. So coercion is the threat of violence if you don't cooperate with what they're doing. Socialism means that they own the the means of production, right? Or they're subsidizing. They're, you only, you can only go through them to get it. All right, so let's go. I, I told you there were benefits right away, right? Yeah, yeah. Instant benefits. benefits. Instant benefits. We've seen, because we've talked about cuts so far, and everybody's like, oh, gee, those poor people. But here's something really amazing, okay? Affordable housing in city of Buenos Aires. They, they use the acronym CABA for short, C-A-B-A. City of Buenos Aires. They ended the rental law. This is virtually the first thing Malay does when he gets in office. He, end, he ends the rental law, which set... Uh, rental rates and regulations on how often rent could be reviewed and adjusted. Remember, they've got 140% inflation. They've got basically a daily inflation going on. Yeah. And they were saying all leases had to be three years and you could only review it every six months. So if you put your property on the market, you've got to anticipate where you're going to be in three years. And it's like exhausting because oh, yeah. can you charge enough rent today to make sure you're covering enough of the expense three years from now, knowing that there's 100 to 140% inflation. It's absurd, right? And so you know what happened? We Same thing that happened to the bread a moment ago. Housing units, gone. Gone. So the, rental, the rental, the supply it dries up. They had um, 
2023, supply of apartments in the city of Buenos Aires Eros, had plummeted to 400 available units late last year. Citywide. It's a big city. Citywide. Yeah, citywide. 400. Now it's more than doubled in a month. In a month, it's more than doubled. There are 800. That's not the end of the story. Rate for these new uh, apartments coming online has declined so far by 20% because they took away the three requirement and said, you know what? Make it two. And we're going to allow for more periodic reviews for rental increases. And this isn't stopping people from running. They're not going, oh, we've been robbed because the supply just went up and the price of it went down. That's what happens when supply goes up, price comes down, and 20% yeah. has been the price decline so far. Bill, if this keeps up, supply will keep expanding and costs will go down. Hey, okay? I'm going to move to Buenos Aires. <laughs> All right. Can go, right? <clears throat> yep. All right. Okay, so let's get into uh let's get into President Malay and his Davos speech, which was I, I'm battery. I'm smiling like a Cheshire cat. I can oh barely gosh. contain myself. I'm so excited right now. I'm this is all been the lead up. Yeah, I'm 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 uh I'm aroused. I'm so happy. It, it this is amazing. Okay. He goes to Davos to the World Economic Forum. This is a globalist institution in the worst possible sense. What they want is international governance socialism. They want to take autonomy and sovereignty out of states. They want to remove democracy, and they want to centralize at the highest level. And don't pay any attention to when they use words like democracy, which they do all the time. They don't mean it. Don't pay any attention to any of that because the theme of this year's event, the theme and, and they expect it to be the theme for the next two years is we've experienced a loss of trust. You know, we gaslighted and lied to the American people and the Europeans and the Africans and the Asians. We, we, we lied to everybody. And surprisingly, they don't trust us anymore. We got to get them to trust us again. And do you want to know what their solution is, Bill? More socialism. No, it's even better than that. They want to get rid of all free speech if they can do it. They want to label anything that disagrees with them. They want to take away free press and uh, rights. They want to label anything that disagrees with them as misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, and throw all of those in a big terrorism bucket. You're a terrorist, buddy. They might, yeah, even a show good, like this. They've got some right? good examples. They could probably get away with it. Yes, that's what they want to do. That's, so that's the theme of the entire program. Good luck, boys and girls. And they invited Javier Malay to come speak. And the dude was up to the task. He was up to the task. So we're going to provide the link to his speech, and I'm going to provide a specific link, Bill. I'm going to ask you when we do the show notes that the link that goes in there be the World Economic Forum YouTube link. Why do I want to do that? You got a guess? Well, let's just say this. If they could take this speech down, they would. Yes. It's that good. Yes. Okay. They, they made the mistake of inviting him, and he took yeah, full yeah, advantage right. of it, right? Uh, we'll get into how and why. We'll just scratch the surface. I don't... Everyone in earshot, the most important thing you could do... I've explained some concepts really, really well, but really, you should go watch this speech. It's only 23 minutes long. And I'm going to put the link down in here. And I don't, there's, there's lots of people on YouTube now offering it because in fact, it's 
when I woke up this morning, it had already been viewed more than 5 million times by very on various platforms. So I, I, but I want one count, one user count, one viewer count to go up. And that is on the world economic forum page. I want them to know that while they're busy trying to figure out how to build trust, here's what people can actually trust. This is the thing they can trust. So this is the link I want given out, and I'm asking people to click that link to watch the speech. You might even be able to find cleaner audio somewhere else. Please, every click over to view is the World Economic Forum seeing this. Everything that they, it would be great, Bill, if when we're done uh, this with this episode and people are done watching this, if after they're done with their event and all the YouTube clips they put up, if this speech had more views than anything else they had, then in the two or three things that they had or 10 things that they had put up as a result of this conference, which, by the way, is as satanic as can be. I mean, the stuff that is coming out of these people's mouths. There's a woman sitting there that has come up with a name, and I can't even think of what it was. But you know how C-I-D-E, the suffix, turns into murder? Yep. She's yep. come up with some kind of organic version of this where fishing and farming are acts of murder. <laughs> and she's sitting there with hairspray and a nice yep. suit on and everything. And I'm like, where did you get your products? This is a death cult for God's sake. So I don't think I'm being exaggerating in the least to say that this whole thing's satanic. And, and, and so I'm watching what they're doing, and he goes in and he preaches. He gives them a sermon. He stands in the middle of hell and tells them where heaven is. That's my grace point if you were looking for one today. That's it. It's not coming at the end of the show. That's it right here. Go watch the World Economic Forum YouTube version of this. We'll put it in the show links. Don't go watch it. Well, watch the other ones if you feel like it. You can drive up their counts too. But first, watch it here. Now, that's your action item for the day, ladies and gentlemen. That's your grace point. Let's talk about the speech. Yeah, yeah. What does this guy have to say? Faced with, this is, this is a quote, faced with theoretical demonstration that state intervention is harmful and the empirical evidence that it has failed, the solution proposed by the collectivists, think communists if you want, I'll help you get through it, proposed by the collectivists is not greater freedom, but rather greater regulation. Greater regulation, which creates a downward sp spiral until we are all poor, and the life of all of us depend on a bureaucrat sitting somewhere in a luxury office. This now, is I, uh, this is Russia under Stalin and Lenin. And 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 by the way, all his people in his home country are he's speaking to them. They hear him. They hear him because you know it's interesting. I I sat with uh, I will not say who the bureaucrat was. I don't, I don't need to. I won't say what their profession was. I don't want to give any hint whatsoever. But they were talking about the fact that they had not gotten a cost of living uh, increase on a particular given year when the rest of the country was experiencing mass unemployment earlier in my life. And I thought the 10-year of that, the 10-year of you explaining out loud that you're owed this. You're yeah. owed this. Yeah. And everybody else is a is is a rube is bad because they don't think you you're owed it. And that very same bureaucrat is now retired with full pay. So they're sitting that when he says luxury office, he's not meaning that they're living large. He's meaning that they're living at the expense of. They don't suffer when you suffer. 
They don't feel what you feel. And when they go out and start protests and march and do all the things they're inevitably going to do over there, when they start organizing themselves to fight back against Malay, we talked about that in the previous episode. It's because they are living at the expense of you. And that's what he's addressing right here. And he's saying that they created the very situation with the jobs that they have, if they're regulators. They made your situation worse. So you imagine paying to get hit over the head. Imagine paying to have your car slammed into. Imagine paying to have your house robbed. That's what he's suggesting is going on here, right? They're going to regulate for your benefit, uh, 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 but the economy goes down, jobs are lost, products and services cost more, shortages are coming along. All of this is in the package, and none of it's being counted. Those are the prices you pay for the services they provide. And by the way, make sure I get a raise this year. Make sure I stay in luxury. Yep. And you, again, if you go through the list, and that's why I recommend the sources that we're going to put in the, in, in the footnotes and others, and you find out some of the consolidations he's done, go read the names of the agencies. It's, it's, it's laughable. They, these things deserve to close. You could, some of them, you could just look at the name and know it right away. All right. I want to play my favorite part of this speech, though. It's just over a minute, I think. Yeah. Uh, minute and what? 18, 19 seconds. So yeah, this is a clip from the speech that he gave to, um, to the crowd at Davos. This is Javier Malay. Supposedly, libertarian economists understand what the market is, because if they did understand, it would quickly be seen that it's impossible for there to be something along the lines of market failures. The market is not a mere graph describing a curve of supply and demand. The market is a mechanism for social cooperation, where you voluntarily exchange ownership rights. Therefore, based on this definition, talking about a market failure is an oxymoron. There are no market failures. If transactions are voluntary, the only context in which there can be a market failure is if there is coercion. And the only one that is able to coerce generally is the state, which holds a monopoly on violence. Consequently, if someone considers that there is a market failure, I would suggest that they check to see if the state intervention involved. And if they find that that's not the case, I would suggest that they check again, because obviously there's a mistake. Market failures do not exist. An example of these so-called market failures uh, described by the neoclassicals are the concentrated structures of the economy. <laughs> And the concentrated okay. structures are the very big things that the government's involved in. The biggest yes, things yes. they're involved the in. The very biggest things. So, right. And so, so in our country, it's healthcare, it's education, it's, um, uh, it's welfare. It's, uh, uh, so those are some of the bigger ones, right? Where the government's role is the largest player in those, those, those given markets. So let me, let me just quote one portion of this and, and reveal something incredible to you, okay? Uh, in fact, I'm going to ask you a question, Bill. Talk, quote, talking about market failure is an oxymoron. There is no market failures. If transactions are voluntary, the only context where it can be a market failure is coercion. And the only one that is able to coerce is the state. Now, I think I'm fairly well-spoken, thoroughly engaged, deeply immersed, 
have a, uh, a really strong understanding of libertarian theory and free market full, uh, uh, thinking. Um, would you agree with that assessment? Do you think I actually know what I'm talking about? I know this stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Completely. He says at the beginning of that statement, in case people missed it, at the beginning of that statement, he says, most libertarians don't know what I'm about to say. And you know what? I was sitting with my libertarian son watching this speech, and we both went, that's the first right. time we've heard that. That's how incredible that moment was. That's the first time we've heard that. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. Let me break it down real quickly. Um, there are no market failures is his claim. That's the central point in the sentence. And he's saying if you see something that looks like a market failure, that what you're supposed to do is go look and find the coercion. Look at how someone was required to do something that they would not have normally done in the pursuit of their own happiness, harmony, and prosperity. Look for that. And if you miss it, you're a little bit dull. Go back and look again. Because you're going to find it. And the reason that you're going to find it is that the state, which by definition, so people think of governments, government is a, an institution that provides uh, authority and enforces certain authorities. And then you've got, uh, you have country, which is, so that, you know, there's a difference between the United States government, which has the president of the United States and so forth. And then the country itself, which is the United States of America to which we all belong. And then you have state. And in Europe, they understand what a state is. We're a little confused because we have these 50 uh, fiefdoms, these, these, these little uh, locations around the country that have some degree of autonomy underneath the federal government, but not a whole hell of a lot. And they, uh, we think those are states. But the true political science definition of a state is the, is the institution that has the uh, moral authority to initiate coercive force to achieve its goals. I'm not making this definition up. Max Weber did it like a long time ago, okay? And everybody understands this in political science. Everybody understands this outside of the United States. We're only a little bit confused because of the structure of our particular United States, okay? So the state is the power to coerce. And he is saying they do, and, and, and they have the moral authority to do so. And they do it all the time. They, what they do is they say, you will do X or we will point guns. We will send people to come get you and they will fine you. They will imprison you. They might even kill you if you show any resistance. That's how this system works. And they're willing to do that in order to achieve their social goals. So putting all this together in a package, what we've covered in the last 10, 12 minutes, essentially you've got a transaction. Everybody's in a win-win arrangement. But if it stops being win-win, if we start seeing a market failure, if we see something not arriving, if your bread stops coming to market, then the market failure isn't caused by act individual actors in the market. You had an incentive to sell bread. I wanted the bread. But something went wrong. Coercion started to come into that situation. Yep. That little license I needed to have for my cottage bakery. Yes. It, yes. Priced, it priced my bread out of the market. And that was the first time I had heard anybody explain market failure that way. And it will be forever the way I explain it going forward. Markets don't fail. Coercion kills them. Yep. 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 Another moment of silence here. <laughs> it's that momentous. I mean, the average show out there is going to go, What? Why is this so important to Jim and Bill? Well, it's important to you too, Joe, Jane, whoever you are. Because for heaven's sake, how much of what you pay for a, a loaf of bread actually helps the bread maker? And how much of it is 
uh, a bribe, basically, to keep the government's coercive force off of your back and the back of the bread maker. There you go. There you go. That's another way of saying it. So for me, in my day-to-day job, one of the things I do is help advance a philosophy called the philosophy of human respect. Yes. And it, it, it argue, the, the point of it is, is a principle that says that every time you see this coercion, when you see initiated force through taxation, when you see it through theft, when you, which is what taxation is, when you see it through, um, through violence, which is what being arrested is, and, and these things are being done for vices, not crimes. These things are being done to advance a particular economic interest, not to make you more safe. When you keep seeing this again and again and again, you can know that, you're, that this is a violation, that every single time this is happening, happiness, harmony, and prosperity decline. Personal happiness, my ability to pursue my goals, my prosperity, my ability to be richer than I was, right? To keep advancing financially in wealth. My ability to get along with other people, because this coercion, be, we start fighting over it, which has been the, yep. the main theme of this entire program. I mean, almost every episode we've, we've touched on this, not every episode, but a lot of them, an awful lot of them, we've touched on this very thing. The lack of harmony that comes, the lack of grace that we all end up having for each other. Forget uh, grace. We don't even have tolerance for one another. We want to oh. taste the delicious tears of our political enemies, right? Because we're all fighting with one another. And we're, and we're supposed to do this. Like, that's the perversion of capitalism that we're all supposed to accept as normal. So I'm actually looking at Javier Malay and saying he gets human respect too. He's and he gets I, he's still going to be a limited government guy. I wish he would go further, but good grief, this is a big step. It's far bigger than any other steps I'm seeing anybody take on this. But he has more to say about market failures, and I just want to make sure this is all clear. Quote, on the pretext of supposed market failures, regulations are introduced. We just got through talking about regulations a minute ago. Here, here we go. Regulations are introduced, which only create distortions in the price system, preventing economic calculation, and therefore they also present, prevent savings, investment, and growth. So you want, everybody should want savings. Everybody should want investment. Everybody should want growth. They should want these things to be happening. They should want people to be flourishing. They should want people to prosper. These things, these things that are supposed to help actually create distortions in price. Now, price is the center of a free market economic system. In every single thing that you do, there are trade-offs. You are limited all the time. There's a limited supply of things, and you are also limited in what you can do with, with, your, with your money and your time. And so what you have to do is prioritize. And what prices do is they provide a non-coercive way for you to make decisions about what you want and what you don't want. And you can compare values. So now everyone right now within the uh, within the sound of our voice, everyone has the opportunity to do something other than listen to the show. That's an economic decision. The price you've paid is your time. Other people, by the way, have funded the show through the Zero Aggression Project, zeroaggressionproject.org, making it possible for you to listen to this show. And if you like this show, you should go to zeroaggressionproject.org and make a tax-deductible donation to help further the work here. Okay. But other people have allowed you to free ride on it, and the price you paid was your time. You could have been doing something else. That's what prices do. Prices exist in everything. But they get distorted, and when they get distorted, and the distortion is always because of coercion. So when they get distorted due to coercion, 
malinvestment occurs. And when malinvestment occurs, shortages and other troubles, less, less savings, less investment, less growth, all of these things manifest out. And he told this to the Davos crowd. People have already made it. They're just set. They can fly in on private jets. They're just set. They're the jet set, right? And these are the these are the elite of the elite. This forget the 1%. Forget the 1% of the 1%. This is the quarter percent of that group. These are the rulers of the planet planning your life. And he came in and said to them, leave people alone. In fact, he closes and says, that the, you, he's, he's referring to the people who are the practicing capitalists, are the heroes in the story. Quote, do not be intimidated either by the political caste or the parasites who live off of the state. End quote. So he, he came real close to burning it down. Yes. 23 and minutes. Isn't, isn't the irony here that the World Economic Forum got started on the principles that he is repeating in his speech? You know, I'm not familiar with their origin story. I'm only familiar with what they've been doing over the last several years and their connection to to uh, things that I frankly have begun to consider sinister. Yes. Truly. They've been they've 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 had central plans. They want a glo they want a central globalist plan. It is not representative. It is anti the types of rights that you would expect in the First Amendment, literally hostile to them. And and I I just <laughs> You know, so if you hear them use the word Democrat, they don't mean it like you you mean it. They mean it like a communist means it, like yeah. a Marxist, communist, Russian, former Soviet meant it. Yeah. They mean it in the same way. They mean it in the same way that, it's, that the Chinese president means it. They mean it the same way that the Korean president means it, the North Korean president, right? Oh, you get to vote, <laughs> but it doesn't matter much. We it still run matter. the show. Yeah. Yeah, this is not a representative democracy. And we certainly aren't going to allow you to say certain things that might change people's minds. We're going to turn you down because that's misinformation or malinformation, which is actually truthful information, but it doesn't serve our interests. It's malinformation. So we've got a little visual here. Oh, to kind of yeah, to close this up. Yep. Yep. So uh, I'll put that up here and just, you know, take a look. So on the left there, who's that on the left? <laughs> it's, it's, it's Evo Morales. He's the former Morales. president of Bolivia. Bolivia. Okay. So and on the right is Javier right. Malay. Javier Malay. <laughs> to make this picture clear, Evo Morales is in a private jet. He's flying on a private plane with his own table in front of him, the ability to stretch out his legs, get a meal, read a book. He's got space. Javier Malay's flying coach. He went to the airport and he flew coach. And you see the picture of him there. Now, to further illustrate the irony, they're these are both men that were at they're both Davos attendees, and Evo Morales is an anti-capitalist. Literally, claims to be anti-capitalist. Capitalism is the big danger. He's a, he's a pure socialist, not the people who pretend or play the game. He's no pretender. He he. I mean, he's more socialist than Bernie Sanders. He is socialist socialist. Okay, and he's flying private plane, and Javier Malay, the free market capitalist, ever being ever thrifty. Now, there's a funny little story that goes with this. The previous president, a previous president of Argentina was spending 20,000, I guess it was pounds. I don't remember what the currency was or pesos. Maybe it was, I don't know. She's spending a lot of money to have a handful of papers, newspapers from Argentina flown to her in England when she was over there every single day that she was there. That, it costs that much. 
Yes, when she was out of the country, she would have the, the papers flown to her. <laughs> and this dude, so he knows his politics. He makes sure that that got home. He made sure that people back home knew he flew coach. And as you've pointed out, you know, that could be dangerous for this guy. It could be dangerous. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm concerned that he doesn't have enough security because he's, he's you know, you fire 5,000 people. You're making a lot of people. You terminate big government projects that people are using as pools of corruption. You're making some people mad. You go and you tell the, the most elite of the elite, you know, you guys are bad for humanity and you should be adopting a free, you should go home and be free market capitalists like good people do. Uh, you're asking, you're asking for death. You're asking for death. So, but he is ever defiant, Bill. He is ever defiant. He closes, uh, apparently, uh, all of his speeches by saying, long live freedom, damn it. <laughs> 